0: Okay, wow, that's another 10 for Diana Ross. Okay, now who'd like to go out there and follow that? Ah! Gee, there must be somebody stupid enough to go out there and face that audience. Ah! I'll do it,
1: Kermit.
2: Hi Ho and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring the most sensational inspirational celebrational wait for it Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets my name is Chad I'm here with my co-host Nick Jackson Nick we are at the end of season four
3: I can't this year has been so long and so short at the same time it's really like I'm blurring the end of uh, season three with the beginning of season four so I've got to go back and start this list
2: yeah, I were I started working on my list for next time for next episode, and uh, I think I, I think I've about got it down. I think I've got it. So, how you doing?
3: Doing all right. Glad the week's over. I I look forward to sleep.
2: This is a feed the lunatic daring war podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at lunatic daring on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Brian J. Jones is following us on Twitter now, by the way. Oh shit lunaticdaring.com where you will find all of our episodes our bibliography and our watch list like i said we are finishing up muppet show season four and uh with a couple of uh interesting guest stars
3: that's a word for it both of these episodes made me uncomfortable for very different reasons i'm looking forward to hearing about that but uh let's get started let's get started
0: it's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Carol Channing!
2: Alright, Nick, who the hell is Carol Channing? Like, I know who Carol Channing is. I've I've known her who she was my entire life, but I have no idea why she was famous other than 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 just all of her. Just you know what I mean? Yeah, I she, think she's a personality that I've known my entire life. But
3: I have a lot um, of friends, or growing up, I've I had a lot of friends that were drama geeks, and they would have known who she was, so she's probably been Closer on the periphery of anyone that I wasn't super aware of. But Carol Channing, born in Seattle, Washington, on January thirty first, nineteen twenty one, to Adelaide and George Channing. Her dad changed his names his name due to religious reasons before Carol was born and became a Christian science practitioner, editor, and teacher. More on that in a minute. The family moved to California when Carol was two. She was an only child. She attended Aptos Junior High and Lowell High School in San Francisco, graduating in nineteen
2: thirty eight. Hey, we know where that is.
3: We do. Um, some of my friends listening, if any of my friends are listening, attended Lowell and possibly Aptos. So I'm not sure. Carol left home to attend Bennington College in Vermont at 17. This would be the first time that she would find out that her dad was biracial. Her mom told her that. She just grew up up to that point not knowing, I guess. But her mom told her that in case Carol had a black baby because she didn't want her to be surprised.
2: That could be quite a surprise.
3: It could. They're yeah. in deep in my dark, dark black comedy heart, I want to see that movie, but also, um,
1: <laughs>
3: Channing would not publicly re- reveal her ancestry until 2002. She majored in drama at Bennington. She started trying out for acting parts on Broadway during her junior year. She would marry her first husband, Theodore Nash in 1941. She learned fluent Yiddish from interacting with his family and friends. I think she really liked being part of that community, but he, they lived pretty, pretty poor and eventually the marriage fell apart. She played a small part in a review and had her performance noted as in an issue of the New Yorker, where people told the general public, or someone told the general public to watch out for this new comedian, Carol Channing. After reading that review, she dropped out of school. It would be four years before she found another acting job. In 1948, she had a featured role in a play called Linden Ear, which launched her career in earnest. She would work on Gentlemen Prefer Blondes Next, which I've Never Seen But I Know Exists. Um, That was a Marilyn Monroe pick, wasn't it? Yes. Okay, cool. But I believe at this point it was still on stage, and she would become known for her signature song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. January 1950, Time ran a cover story about her becoming a star on Broadway. She also married her second husband, Alexander F. Carson, who played center for the Ottawa Rough Riders Canadian football team. They had one son named Channing, uh, they would divorce in 1956. She took Channing with her and changed his name to Lowe after her next husband, to whom she would remain married until 1998. Alexander was an absent dad. Carol got full custody pretty easily, I believe. Her third husband was her manager and publicist, Charles Lowe. Uh, she married him the same year that she divorced Chan- uh, Alexander Carson. Charles would be tied to some of our other... Muppet show guests or one in particular, uh, Mr. Charles Burns, George Burns. Oh my God.
1: <laughs>
3: Charles would be attached to one of our other Muppet show guest stars, uh, one, Mr. George Burns, because he produced the Burns and Allen comedy show. When Gracie stepped down, Carol would step in for a time to work with Burns off and on. And she would do that throughout the fifties. One of Carol's other mainstay roles was. In 1964, she starred in Hello, Dolly, where she won her, I believe, her first Tony for Best Actress in a Musical. This led to her being invited to the White House, the Democratic Convention in 1964, where she sang Hello, Lyndon for Lyndon B. Johnson's campaign. Apparently, Lady Bird Johnson was a huge Carol Channing fan. In 1967, she became the first celebrity to perform a Super Bowl halftime show. She also received her first Academy Award nom for Thoroughly Modern Millie which she appeared in with Julie Andrews and Mary Tyler Moore. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz approached her about getting her own sitcom, but that didn't take off. She's got a lot of roles. I'm going to gloss over a good number of them. She... Had a cameo in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Band. She was in Little Nemo: Adventures in Slumberland, which is probably the first place that I heard her. She did a little bit of voice work there. Guest roles on Magnum PI and Love Boat around the time that she worked on The Muppet Show. She her last television role was on RuPaul on RuPaul's Drag Race. Nice. She theater wise, I don't know what a lot of these are. There was a sequel to Gentlemen Prefer Blondes where I believe she reprised her role of Lorelei and that ran from 1973 to 75 i could be miss no no that was that was correct yes she was also in a play called Sugar Babies one called Jerry's Girls her last stage performance was at a one of her last stage performances was at a 50th anniversary of Hello Dolly in 2014 she was also featured in something called Time Step in that year and there was a 95th celebration a 95th birthday celebration for her in 2016 on Broadway Channing would pass away on January 15th, 2019. The listed cause was natural causes, but her ashes were sprinkled between the Koran Theater and the Geary Theater in San Francisco. Carol Channing.
2: She's definitely distinctive.
3: Absolutely. And she had me laughing against my will for a lot of this episode, which is a sure mark of skill. The Muppet Show episode 423, featuring guest star Carol Channing, produced between February 11th and February 16th in 1980. It would premiere in the UK on March 28th of the same year, and it would make it stateside on May 8th of 1980 as well.
0: Oh, Carol? Carol Channing? 30
3: seconds to curtain, Miss Channing! We get to our opening, or I guess our, our lead-in, and we see Carol... So. For anyone who doesn't know what Carol Channing looks like, because I did not know what Carol Channing looked like. Try to explain this. And it it bears mention. She, How do I explain this? She is a pre-Amy Sedaris, Amy Sedaris. She is a pre-Tracy Oldman, Tracy Oldman. She's got this like, shellac on wig, blonde wig, and the longest fake eyelashes that I think I have ever seen. This side of Tammy Faye Baker, yeah it's muppet like and it's disconcerting but also she was famous for those lashes wasn't she probably like she's she's definitely a character actor but i just looking at it, it there was something kind of unsettling but also captivating about it and not even yeah. necessarily in an amorous way just like it was it was clearly calculated it did, it had the intended effect and i was laughing along with it but she is a she's an odd duck that's a good way to sum that up, Carol is in her dressing room where Scooter comes in, as Scooter is wont to do, and she lets him know that it's freezing. And, well, Scooter lets her know that that's the, the case in order to accommodate the penguins and a walrus. That walrus didn't really look like a walrus, though. I'm not sure what it was. Like, maybe it's just because it was missing a snout or something? Yeah, it's, it's probably something they just threw together. It was just like a slug with tusks. <laughs> it does look like a slug with tusks. Getting a lot of penguins lately. They're trying. They it's going to be them or Rizzo, and it's it's going to be Rizzo. We get our Muppet Show theme, and we don't usually get Zoot on the sacks during the the uh, the opening theme, do we? We don't usually get this little
2: interstitial thing, though. No.
3: It was a nice touch when it comes time for Gonzo to blow his horn. He is blown away, what with a lot of like fall leaves accompanying him, and something else that is unusual and what is frankly a very unusual episode we don't usually have our guest star in the opening number not these days no i'm laughing thinking about this and it creeps me out so much this entire thing is nightmare fuel she looks a little bit like an oompa loompa yeah carol and some big-eyed singers sing jeepers creepers and i i i i i i like you very much and then their eyes as a medley. And I believe all of those are Louis Armstrong uh, tunes, right? She was doing an impression, but also she's surrounded by all of these like big googly-eye Muppets. and it's Well, with big eyelashes like hers. Well, but the eyes are what disturbed me more because they're not pop-out eyes like you would get with the Fraggles. These are flat eyes that are just layered on, and it, for whatever reason, that creates the effect that they're staring into your soul as Carol directs the army, and there's this weird paper cutout of what i assume is carol in the background which wouldn't look out of place on set at rocky horror and like the thing is i say all of these things it sounds disparaging this is sort of emblematic of the episode this sketch creeps me out but i also think it's very good (laughs) she did she did a decent job there's this weird sort of understated absurdity i am distinctly uncomfortable the entire time i'm watching it but i can't look away
2: all the songs have a a theme to them. They're all about eyes or have the word eye in them. The reason I asked you about whether her eyes were famous is because I just figured like she's, if she's known for her big ashes, her big ass, (laughs) if she's known for her big lashes and things like that, then it makes sense that she would sing this medley about eyes. You know, Uh, we get a couple of songs about body parts in this
3: episode. As I talk about my discomfort throughout this episode, for anyone who's listening and is a fan of Carol Channing, I am also a fan of Carol Channing. It is a confusing fandom. (laughs) Like she, she sold me with this episode. She's done something that people aren't able, a select number of people are able to do consistently, but most people can't do, which is to make me laugh against my will. And she did it without too much dirty humor either, which is usually the shoe in. So like an ever growing amount of respect, but it still makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) We, we go backstage for what is going to be an interesting runner for the night. Miss Piggy's walking a little funny because she's got some shoes that she just bought and they don't quite fit. Why doesn't she wear a pair of bigger size? Don't understand. You're not a woman. Scooter. Scooter should have just left. Just say to Scooter. Although I will say watching him try to get that shoe off of her foot was super entertaining. <laughs> um, yeah. She enlists Scooter to help get them off of her feet because she can barely stand. And once they're finally off. She's very relieved. She's very relieved. So she doesn't say anything too nice to Scooter, but you know, she's, she's clearly really. And Kermit, I feel like Kermit knows exactly what he's doing because he never lays it on this thick. I think this is innocent. I think this is innocent. How I often listen. does he really compliment her though?
0: Are these your shoes? They look new. Uh, yes, they are, but I'm taking them back. Uh, they're just not the right, <laughs> uh, oh, they're not the right style for <laughs> oh. moi. <laughs> I wouldn't say that they, they look very elegant. You think so? Sure, I bet you'd look terrific in them.
3: That's the point. He never does. It feels like he was just trolling her a little bit, it, but Kermit comes in and sees the shoes on the table and he says they're very nice, and he just starts laying it on kind of thick. He's like, you look nice in these. I would, I'm sure you would look great. At which point, Miss Piggy... Scooter!
0: Yeah? I promise you won't ask any questions. Okay, I promise. Help me put the shoes back on.
3: Scooter had two opportunities to run, and he missed both of them. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so that's our runner, is Piggy has some shoes that are, let's say, uh,
2: slightly too small for her, that cause her incredible pain, Or heels, shockingly, that cause her incredible pain when she walks, but her her man, or her wannabe, her frog, likes them, and so she is going to be determined to wear them. I have no experience with this, but I've heard every woman in my life at one time or another complain about shoes that they're wearing, so...
3: I'm never wearing heels again. Yeah, no, it's it's not, it's not a good time. So we get to see our guest star again, which is kind like it's two back to back on stage sketches. She's putting in a lot of work tonight, but Carol's playing a character called Whistling Cecilia, which is the second sketch that she's in in a row, which has had me laughing despite feeling like I shouldn't be laughing. It's so on the nose. You see every joke coming, but she commits so hard, and something about that dead eyed stare, you're just like, I, it's uncomfortable.
0: My name. Is Cecilia Sisson? Uh, oh boy, uh, Cecilia Sisson, huh? Certainly. S I S S O N Sisson. Sisson. Uh, uh, yes. Um, now I understand that uh, your last film was the world's first all-singing, all-talking picture. Yes. I had been on the silent screen for seven years.
3: But she's playing a character called Cecilia Sisson, who is a silent film star who never made it in talkies because she whistles every S. Um, It's sort of like Sean Connery pronouncing every S with an H. It's just you see every beat coming, but it works. And she's done this character before. Like this is this is one of her like trademark characters. The thing Um, is, we've seen like some of the comedy from episodes of The Muppet Show doesn't age very well, but the Borscht Belt thing would have worked when it was still current this feels like something that I should say it was a different time to, but I was laughing the entire time yeah, it's and thinking funny. that it was so stupid to laugh at. But Joe, you know my favorite part of it is
2: though, is uh, Kermit periodically wiping off his microphone.
3: <laughs>
2: Cause she's spitting on it. That was really well done on Jim. That's part. my, that's my favorite part of this number is just watching Kermit just, uh, just very, very, very suddenly just wiping off the end of his microphone every once in a while. It's it's a clever idea though. It's actually reminiscent of uh, the um, the movie Singing in the Rain. I'm gonna be honest; I still haven't seen Singing in the Rain. The, the general plot involves um, a couple of silent stars who end up going, uh, uh, you know, and, and sound film happens, and they make their first sound film. And the problem is, one of the actresses, her voice is just not for hearing. <laughs> hmm. It's very loud and obnoxious. And so it's kind of the same plot as this uh, little sketch, actually, that that the silent film, a
3: great silent film star's career was over as soon as they opened their big mouth. The Cecilia Sisson character uh, actually originated in the 1961 musical comedy review Showgirl, where Carol starred. Um, But she would play this character a number of times throughout her career.
0: They seemed to feel that there was something wrong with my voice. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> sadly so now as I look back I say Cecilia if you'd only learn to keep your big mouth shut
3: so we go backstage again and Piggy's got the shoes on again um and Kermit oh he's laying it on so thick Kermit asks her to walk around in them and you just see Miss Piggy wanting to make her frog happy But the best part about this particular beat of the backstage bit is the fact that Floyd is trying to die. Floyd is trying so hard to die. Yeah, he's trying to commit suicide by pig. Oh, Oh, Floyd.
0: Hey, Cinderella, who sold you the slippers? A shoe salesman or a sausage stuffer?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what did he say?
0: Floyd, dear, before you say anything more... Why did not you just jot down your next
1: of kin?
2: <laughs> it would be easier for the authorities. She's not even veiling it anymore. She's not no. even pretending. Well, like, no, he's like, no, I doing. will
3: murder you. I don't know, man. I still think Kermit's genuine, but. I feel like the second he asks her to walk around, it's like, come on, do a little spin for me. At that point, he's just leading her on. Uh, we go back on stage for the anti-Quentin Tarantino bit. Which, again, the the theme of this half of the episode is that everything is amazing and really stupid. Uh, but this was another thing that made me laugh. It, we've got two huge-footed monsters that are singing a song called Your Feet's Too Big. And I guess, like, they had actual human feet on the stage. And a puppeteer would have just, like, had the, the Muppet over the feet, overlaid or something like that, operating it or something. But we've got these two red... I don't even think they're whatnots. They're just... They look like monsters. Yeah, little monsters that are, and this guy is just, or the, the the male puppet is just insulting the woman's feet. They're too big. They're too big. I can't do anything with it. It's too bad. He's too picky. He's like a Seinfeld character.
2: He says, like, everything about her is amazing except for her feet. Yeah, he, he says the line, I really hate you because your feet's too big. Hate you. Not just I'm not attracted to you because your feet's too big. I hate you because your feet's too big. It's a
3: very weird song. It is. Very weird. I still laughed, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you laughed. Oh, I laughed so much more at this episode than I feel like I should have. And I that just makes me want to give it more credit. We get to our UK spot, which is an interesting pivot on the way the episode's been going so far. Floyd and Beauregard play a song called Wave uh, because this is apparently what penguins listen to. But it's also a Bossa Nova hit by Antonio Javim. I didn't realize that penguins are really big into Bossa Nova. It's a really nice, really somber piece. We've got Bo playing harmonica. There's only so much I can really say about it. There aren't really any pivots. Until Piggy comes out and starts kicking penguins. I forgot she did that.
2: Oh, yeah. About halfway through, Piggy comes out of her dressing room, and she's hobbling around in her shoes. And the penguin's in her way, and she starts kicking penguins off the balcony.
3: No, she's animals are
2: harmed. She's in her Pigs in Space outfit. She's getting ready to go out on stage, and she's she's uh, kicking all the penguins. So so it, it starts off as this mellow kind of jam session, and it turns into
3: a comedy bit. We go straight into Pigs in Space, where Miss Piggy is just having none. She's having none of it. None of it. Link and
2: hogthrob uh, are doing their best to play the sketch out.
3: I like the, the main note that I put down is that links invisible shield is sad. Cause you just see links heartbreaking every time she refuses to play along. Well,
2: yeah. Cause they're, they're on set and the, the sketches they're stuck stuck in this invisible shield, but she is not, she's not doing the, the sketch. She, her feet hurt too bad. So she just walks right through their invisible shield. She's not going to do the sketch, but then they get visitors.
3: And worlds collide because it's not just pigs in space. It's also a veterinarian's hospital. Yeah. Link and Rolf together in the same scene. That's pretty crazy. Um, Dr. Bob and Nurse Janice show up to try to make Miss Piggy's feel, feet feel better because Miss Piggy just ignores the invincible shield and she just keeps walking back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. She just keep everybody else obeys the invisible shield that everyone else obeys the laws of the sketch. Piggy has no time for it. Piggy plays by her own laws. This is not the first time she's come onto the set of Pigs in Space with no interest in doing the sketch. I don't think it's ever been this pronounced, though. No, it's, she's done it before where she's like, eh, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. But uh, uh, this time, she's she's got a reasonable excuse.
3: Eventually, Janice cues the announcer so they can just kill the scene.
2: How will we
0: ever get out of all this? Uh, easy. Cue announcer. Mm-hmm. Tune in again next time for another adventure of Pigs! In
1: space! You know, we have him at the hospital too.
3: So, we have uh, our first real non performance. Actually, no, I take that back because she interacted with the scooter at the beginning of the episode. But, like, during the, the meat of the episode, we have our first real non performance interaction from Carol in the dressing room because Miss Piggy goes back and confesses that she hates wearing the shoes. And. Carol, ever the pragmatist, decides that Timmy Monster can walk around in them. Um, which. Yeah, stretch them out. Not going to break the shoes. No, those are very, very tough shoes. Timmy's a little large,
2: but she does. Well, her first recommendation is to soak her feet in pickle juice to shrink them. But Piggy doesn't like that suggestion.
3: Because pickled pig's feet is a delicacy and not a joking matter. So we get our. Uh, A nice sketch with the Swedish chef who's making meatloaf by stuffing a loafer with meat, which honestly, this is probably the best ending that we've seen for a Swedish chef sketch up to this point, because nothing really bad happens to the chef. I mean, he loses his meat. Well, yeah, but it's better that way because he doesn't get chased by dogs. Um, He's making meatloaf by stuffing meat into a loafer and the owner of the shoe, uh, which is a pig, wants his shoe back. And doesn't empty the shoe out or seem to mind that much that there's a bunch of meat that's been stuffed into it. Puts it in with a good squish. Yeah. Seems kind of satisfied about it. It's a satisfying sound. Depends on who you ask. Um, he then gets chased by dogs. <laughs> well, the pig does. Not the chef. The pig. Oh, yeah. No, not the chef. The chef makes out like a bandit. He's fine. But he also... I mean, he doesn't get his meatloaf, but... He wasn't trying to kill a live animal this time. That might be the key. We get a quick stop backstage where Timmy comes back with the shoes. Because Timmy's just trying to be helpful. But the shoes have grown three sizes because they're now Timmy-sized. And Miss Piggy channels her inner Sam the Eagle and says,
1: I'm
0: alone in a world of weirdos.
3: Guess the title of the episode. I'm I'm so for it. But also, Miss Piggy, as usual, fails to acknowledge that she made choices in this. She made big choices for big I shoes. think she's. Rel- I think she's relieved. She's still committed to wearing them. But she doesn't, though. I thought
2: she doesn't for the last number. I don't think she wears them. She can't wear them. There's no way. They're, they're clown shoes now.
3: Oh, yeah. They were always kind of clown shoes, though. We go to our closing number, which features Carol, Miss Piggy, and the pigs singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Uh, which, the way that it's set up, Piggy is wearing this ridiculous perm wig, which is kind of amazing, but... We've complained in the past about specifically stage actors sort of cheesing to the audience and how it sort of breaks immersion. Carol violates that rule left and right, but it works because she's so unsettling in the way that she does these things. And it's just fun. But also, she legitimately sets up Kermit at the end because we've got diamonds all over the place. And Kermit makes it very clear that all the diamonds are supposed to go back. Yeah, you don't keep you don't you don't buy diamonds for a number like that. You rent them. Oh, no, what are you going to do with all those diamonds? But Miss Piggy begs, and Carol tries to get Kermit to get her to just let her keep one. And Kermit says, fine, pick one. And Miss Piggy decides that she's going to keep the engagement ring. (laughs) Which, uh...
2: Yeah, she kind of blinks it at the camera. Like, I'll keep this one. I don't think that's how proposals work. I kind of hate this song. Just in general, the lyrics well, I kind of hate yeah. this song It, it ages so, It ages very poorly it's, it's very, The song's very regressive, that's all Maybe not then, but it feels regressive now it, it's, a, it's a good performance of it I just don't care for
3: the lyrics That's fair I, I hate the Pina Colada song Because it's about two people failing and cheating on each other But everyone's got their things At the close, Statler and Waldorf Have decided that they don't want to be outdone I don't know where they got these crowns Oh no, they're they're big pimping, crowns. I don't know why they have crowns. They stole them from the bodies of their enemies. Is that, is that the Kaiser's crown? <laughs> Maybe. So it sounds like you really enjoyed Carol Channing. I did. It sounded like I feel like it sounded like I was more disparaging than I actually was. I think that she was actually no. amazing. It just I was uncomfortable the entire time.
2: She's a she's an odd presence. You know, and I think she was
3: I think she leans into that, you know. She she's she leans into the fact that she's an odd presence. She does so very well. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised to find out that she was a major influence on someone like Joan Rivers or something. Yeah, she's pretty
2: she's pretty uh pretty strange, but yeah, I th- I, I agree with you. I think she was really good.
1: Damn, I don't mean right.
2: Diana Ernestine Earl Ross, Ernestine, born March 26, 1944 in Detroit, Michigan. Folks, this is going to be an essay. Buckle up. Her mother actually named her Diane, but there was a mistake made on her birth certificate. But her friends and family would call her Diane all of her life. She had two sisters and three brothers. She grew up. They grew up in Highland Park. <laughs> they grew up in Highland Park where their neighbor happened to be Smokey Robinson It was rumored to have been Ross's childhood boyfriend, but I don't think that was ever substantiated. She attended a magnet school in downtown Detroit, taking classes in clothing design and tailoring with the intent of becoming a fashion designer. She took modeling and cosmetology classes and was on the school swim team. In 1960, a famous downtown Detroit store hired Ross as its first African-American bus girl. Her first group was the four girl group, the Primettes, a sister group of the male act called the Primes. Diana went to Smokey, who was successful at that point, and he got the Primettes a Motown audition. They impressed the guys at their tryout, including the legendary Barry Gordy, but they decided they were too young and told them to come back after high school. But that didn't stop them. They kept coming around the offices and eventually got themselves onto background background vocals and hand claps for other artists. In 1960, the Primettes were allowed to record their own songs, many of them written by Gordy and Robinson, who was now vice president of Motown. They scored a few local hits, but nothing went national. Soon after that, they changed their name to The Supremes, despite there being another male group out there with the same name. One of their members left the band, leaving them as a trio. And in 61, The Supremes were officially signed with Motown Records. In June of 64, they released their first top 10 single, Where Did Our Love Go? Baby, baby. follow it up with 10 more number ones over the next three years. They quickly became Motown's most popular 1960s act. There was internal strife, with Ross garn- garnering more intention than the other Supremes, wanting more money, and Barry Gordy renamed the group Diana Ross and the Supremes, which was common back then, but could not have sat well with the other two singers. It was around this time, with all the pressure going on, that Ross began suffering from anorexia. At a show in 67, she collapsed on stage and was hospitalized for exhaustion and malnutrition. She also helped introduce the world to the Jackson Five and finally went solo in 1970, leaving the Supremes behind. That May, she released her first solo record, and that included some of her most famous songs, including Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand and Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Other records and hits followed. In 71, she had her first television special with the Jackson 5 as her guests. Around this time, Ross started working on her first film as an actor, Lady Sings the Blues, a rough biopic about Billie Holiday. The role would win her an Oscar and Golden Globe nominations for Best Actress. The soundtrack sold 2 million copies. She released a duets album with Marvin Gaye. She became the first black woman to co-host the Academy Awards. Her next film, Mahogany, reunited her with her Lady Sings the Blues co-star Lando Cal... I mean, Billy D. Williams. And it was directed by Motown boss, Barry Gordy. She left Motown for RCA Records, but then came back in 1988. More solo hits followed, and I'm not going to list them all. In 76, she released Love Hangover. I know that one, which uh, we will hear in tonight's episode. Soon, therefore, she starred in The Wiz, the African-American version of The Wizard of Oz, alongside her old friend, Michael Jackson. Their duet Is on the Road was a hit. Cause Unfortunately, The Wiz was a financial failure and Ross never really worked in movies
3: again. She worked really hard on that. She did cartwheels and high heels. <laughs> on ease, undone. I've seen The Wiz more times than I can count. I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. She did cartwheels while wearing high heels. And it's terrifying to think about.
2: More music followed, including a duet with Lionel Richie. And she sang the Star-Spangled Banner at Super Bowl XVI. In 82, she received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She appeared on the We Are the World charity single in 1985. In 86 and 87, she hosted the annual American Music Awards. After she returned to Motown, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with the rest of the Supremes, and composed the theme to the animated film The Land Before Time a song called If We Hold It Together, which did quite well overseas more than it did here. I'm not going to go into all the albums and all the awards, but I'm going to quote Wikipedia verbatim here. Ahem. Ross was named the female entertainer of the century by Billboard in 1976. Since her solo career began in 1970, Ross has released 25 studio albums, numerous singles and compilations that have sold more than 100 million records worldwide. She is the only female artist to have had number one singles on the Billboard Top 100 as a solo artist, as half of a duet, and as a member of a trio, and as an ensemble member. In 2021, Billboard ranked her as the 30 greatest, 30th greatest hot 100 artist of all time. Her hits as a supreme and as a solo artist combined to put Ross among the top five artists on the Billboard Top 100 singles chart from 1955 to 2018. She had a top 10 UK hit in every one of the last five decades – and sang lead on, top, on a top 75 single at least once every year from 1964 to 1996 in the UK, a period of 33 consecutive years and a record for anybody. She was the recipient of a special Tony Award in 76, the Kennedy Center Honors in 2007, the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2012, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2016. What have you done? She was married twice, once to famed mountaineer Arnie Nass Jr., who would later die in a climbing accident. She has five children and seven grandchildren. In 2002, she was arrested in Tucson for a DUI while undergoing treatment at a nearby facility for substance abuse. She is still recording her most recent track appearing in the brand new 2022 feature film Minions, The Rise of Gru, which I think just came out as we're recording this. She is presently 78 years old. I skipped a lot of music, but this thing is already too long. The Supremes and Diana Solo released dozens of top 10 hits. And if you haven't heard the Supremes, fire up your Spotify or Apple Music and check out a Diana Ross playlist. You won't regret it. Huge. Very much so. I don't know if it can be stated how huge. Muppet show number 424, special guest star, Miss Diana Ross, produced February of 1980, came out in uh, April in the UK and May in the States.
0: Oh, Diana, Diana Ross, 15 seconds to curtain, Diana. Uh,
2: We have a very corny, cold open. Scooter uh, has brought Diana a gift because uh, and uh, he has brought her a club with um, a bunch of little fans attached to it because Kermit said that wherever she goes, she has a big fan club. Important to note, this is the last time Scooter will be used in the cold open. This is the last knock, 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 15 seconds to curtain. We will have a whole new cold open for season five. Um, Muppet Show theme, Zoot during the theme has a snake come out of his uh, his sax, and then later the same snake comes out of Gonzo's trumpet. During Kermit's introduction, uh, Statler and Mortarf announced that they're going to be keeping score tonight like they're judges at the Olympics. That's going to be their because their, the backstage story of this episode is this crowd is
3: full of assholes. This is why, like I, I mentioned, both of tonight's episodes made me kind of uncomfortable. This, isn't, this wouldn't be anything close to the first time that they dealt with a tough audience or anything like that, but something about the way that this episode handles it is like acutely nasty. Like a little bit. Yeah. There's something so, so distinctly mean spirited that it, I don't think they're laughing with the Muppets. And I'm just sort of like this. Don't do this to my guys. Well, so far the Muppets have earned a score of two from the judges.
2: Two out of 10. Get our opening number. where We have a character named Eric, the parrot um, leading a group of animals and singing. I go to Rio. This is a song that was a hit for a guy named Peter Allen. And, uh, yeah, what'd you think of the uh,
3: Rio? It's fun. Um, it's, I think, the first time that I heard Kokomo by the Beach Boys, it was the the Muppet version in the early 90s. And this this entire setup made me weirdly nostalgic for that. Kokomo may be one of the worst songs ever written. I'm still going to say it's the Pina Colada song. It's hard to argue with that, but I'm
2: just saying Kokomo's close. Yeah, this one... Uh, uh, this is a classic. It always gets stuck in my head after I hear it. Statler and Waldorf give it a rating of three. But then the audience boos them and they reduce it to a zero. But yeah, that's our backstage stories. It is a rough crowd out there tonight. It's a rough crowd. So we come backstage and the animals are complaining about, about the response to the song. And uh, they're like, man, that's a rough crowd out there tonight. And, uh, and, and Fozzie goes, I know what they need. Comedy.
3: Dear sweet Fozzie so this is beat beat wise this is probably following the setup of a horror movie i'm realizing it as we're discussing this because everyone's telegraphing how they're going to die and specifically how they're going to die on stage and the second that Fozzie perks up we're like oh Fozzie, don't run into the woods
1: you gave him a
0: one He's never been better.
2: Oh. <laughs> Doesn't even get a joke out. Shortest performance of his career. So rough crowd. We don't get any. I. Do you know what I like? We don't get any excuses for it. We don't get any reason for having a rough crowd. It's just mm. a rough crowd, man. I mean, later it gets downright violent. It gets downright
3: violent. So much of because the idea here is that you're generally dealing with a conceit. Everyone is in uh, an intradiagetic setting, but it's still everyone laughing at the muppets instead of with the muppets like it seems almost like the they expect you as the audience watching from home to also laugh at rather than laughing with the muppets i'm not sure if that's true so one thing that they that this
2: this crowd does like is diana ross so diana comes out for her first number and the crowd goes nuts <laughs> first number and she comes and sings her hit song love hangover she dances with these kind of big boss man look at puppets remember big boss man
3: yeah one of them had a very phallic nose which i only bring up because of the way that the rest of love hangover comes straight out of Bogey nights
2: <laughs> and then um and then she's then she's joined by our, our buddy fletcher bird graham fletcher and his bird outfit uh dancing along with her on stage well statler and Waldorf give this one a 10 is so the audience the audience is totally into it but uh you knew this song right uh
3: this isn't one of her songs that i'm more familiar with but i think i've heard it before this one i knew this one i knew
2: uh and, and she kills it yeah but then she comes off stage and she's all psyched because the audience loved her and she thanks fozzy for for warming the crowd up for her <laughs> and she says uh, was it when they love you uh they don't hold back and fozzy's like when they hate you they don't hold back either." <laughs> Poor Fozzie. Just, you know, I, I don't know. I think you're taking it too seriously. It's just a bad night. They just have a bad, it's a bum crowd. They, they Everyone happen. has bad days. I, I get that. It just. Crowds, yeah. crowds, crowd. sometimes you get a bad crowd. The savagery. It happens all over the place. Now, it does get a little more savage here because then Kermit comes out and introduces the Gills brothers, you know, who are our, our quartet of kind of fish that sing old timey rock songs or I don't even know they're rock songs, but. Um, and the Gill's brothers comes out and sing a song called "Ant Chovy," <laughs> uh, which is written by Dave, Derek Scott and David Odell, who are two of the Muppet show uh, songwriter guys. So this is, this is an in-house song. The audience hates this too. They died up there. <laughs> the audience absolutely hates this too, and, and booze them, boost them off stage. But then they come off stage, and they're skeletons, Nick.
3: They looked like uh... they've been eaten. Do you remember in Beetlejuice when I think it was Alec Baldwin stretched his face out? Yes, that's what, exactly what they look like. You are right. That's exactly what they look like. But yeah, no, they died on stage. They, they even
2: brought tartar sauce. Oh, that's dark. Yeah. Yeah, it's real dark. Yeah, so, so, the, so the Gills brothers, uh, this, I bet this is the last time we see them too. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you're not going to put them on stage looking like that. Kermit... Uh, uh, Stop, Kermit stops by Dan in his dressing room and he's, he's kind of bummed because of how the way the show is going. She, su- she tries to suggest. Uh, uh,
1: send in one of your surefire acts like Vets Hospital. That'll work. Vets Hospital? Yeah.
0: Now that's a good idea. Vets Hospital. <laughs> that's where Dr. Bob and Nurse Piggy and Nurse Janice run out there and they tell those awful, awful jokes and yeah. then they laugh a lot and boo and spirit <laughs> to I mean, what
1: Well, what about um, Swedish Chef?
0: Swedish chef! Yes! Swedish yeah. chef! A oh, hilarious cooking lesson! Yes! With somebody, this guy that you can't understand, making this food that you can't eat! This. <laughs>
2: but then they finally decide on a sketch that apparently Diana hates, which is Pigs in Space. So
3: we go to Pigs in Space. Apparently, Link's got a smoking problem. Which, honestly, it's the 70s. It wouldn't it, be considered a problem. Yeah, as long as he's able to, like, maintain... So Strange Pork is fixing links uh, like a Zippo lighter,
2: and, um, Piggy comes in and what she, and she, and she hears this hissing sound and she takes it to be that she's being hissed off stage because everybody's being booed and hissed off stage tonight. But it turns out the hissing sound is really coming from the lighter and Piggy storms off and she's like, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. I'm a star. I'm Piggy. Who the hell are you? You know? Mm. And, um, they, uh, then they have a very funny sequence where Strange Pork drops the lighter and he goes, oh, no, it just landed over here by this nitroglycerin tank. And Link goes, oh, I'll light a match so we can see. And, um, you know, you know where that's going. I just thought it was funny. Oh, it landed here next to the nitroglycerin. Why would you have open nitroglycerin on the bridge? Listen, Strange Pork may be the smartest one of the bunch, but it doesn't make him smart. <laughs> fair point so we get a uk spot that i've always thought was just classic muppet show i didn't realize it didn't air in the states
3: originally oh my god this is i i love this so much
2: we have beaker uh in a in a very nice green tuxedo with bow tie singing the song feelings Was a, a ballad uh, f- from the 1970s recorded by Morris Albert.
3: Not sure who that is, but Morris Albert. It's been covered by other people. Yeah. No, it was half cover. Like it's a cover and a parody by The Offspring from the 90s. So I recognized the song and it was a weird double whammy of being like, random Offspring track. Also, I guess this is older. Also, Beaker commits so hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is, um,
2: uh beaker. And I like the fact that animals got his back too. If you're an animals band, he'll throw it down for you. Of course they start getting booed. They start getting booed too. And animal manages to shut the crowd up, at least for a little bit. He gets them to shut up for a little bit, but uh, yeah, no, this is very funny, obviously just, just kind of classic, but again, more of this uh, rough audience. So then uh, Floyd is uh, diddling around on his guitar backstage. And um, no, sorry. I should, I shouldn't say that. Floyd is diddling <laughs> around on. Floyd is did. No, I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, I meant no. He doesn't play guitar. He plays bass. Uh huh. Floyd is noodling around with his bass backstage, and um, uh, he starts playing a tune, and Diana comes to 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 sit with him, and she's like, she, and they play the song together. He's, he happens to be playing one of her songs, and then uh, Doctor Teeth, who we haven't seen a lot of. I'll admit, we don't see a lot of Dr. Teeth these days. He comes on stage and the, uh, or he comes out and the three of them start singing one of Diana's songs the last time I saw him. Kermit comes back and he's like, and he's depressed. They're like, Kermit, what's wrong? And he's like, they hate everything except that's not you. And she's like, oh, he's like, so could you please? And she's like, well, we could go on stage. And he's like, please go on stage. They hate everything
3: that's not you. I think Diana's amazing, but I'm kind of sad that this is the season finale just because it feels like we're leaving on such a low note. Just to find out that this is the episode where they weren't sure if they were going to get a fit season or not. So then they, they, so they move the performance on stage, and they
2: sing the rest of the song. And it's a cool song. Yeah, it's a nice bit. Uh, Do you notice they brought out a, a brass section? Mm-hmm. to accompany her and in the brass section was bobby benson we haven't seen him in a little while no it looks like he got demoted maybe they took his babies away maybe he just needed a night out for himself cps finally finally brought down the hammer Woo! last time i saw him last time i saw my honey last time i
1: saw him he was looking fine and-
2: Kermit comes out after Diana does her number. Great, great, single with hers, great number. He asks if um, anybody who wants to go on next and everybody just vanishes.
3: <laughs> Except.
2: And he says someone's he, and he understands he's not upset at them. He's like, no, I get it. He's like, who would be stupid enough to want to follow Diana Ross? And I hadn't seen this episode before and as soon as he said that, I went, Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> i knew what was coming next as soon as he said the words who would be stupid enough to follow that i heard the whoosh before it before it came on i just knew it so gonzo is was immediately there with his whoosh and uh he volunteers to go on um and kermit says what's his act and he says the only way i can describe it is, is indescribable
3: he also asks for a typewriter which Kermit says they don't have, but we've seen the typewriter on past episodes. Yeah,
2: I thought about that too. But 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 he also subs out the typewriter with a cow. I don't know what he was planning on doing with that typewriter. But so we come on stage, and Gonzo comes on stage to do his indescribable number, and he's got he's he's in a tower type thing, like a plat race platform. He's got a cow. He's got a f- open flame, and over that open flame, he's got a tire swing. What is he gonna do? I don't know and we're never gonna find out because they start because the audience starts throwing food at him and and uh, booze him off stage and he comes off stage and he's and he gets a negative six from Statler and Waldorf he comes off stage uh, par- wounded but but not mortally from the produce attack and um, Kermit realizes the only solution is to keep going that there's only one solution to, to fixing the night. And that's to get Diana Ross back on stage. So Diana comes out to sing her final song, but before she does that, she drags our favorite bear on stage and um, asks him to tell a joke because she loves Fozzie. She thinks Fozzie's hysterical, and Fozzie says, "I, I don't want to tell. I don't want to tell a joke. They hate me." <laughs> and so she tells it, and the crowd goes crazy. And it was Fozzie's joke, and so so that gives Fozzie courage to try another joke. And that one doesn't go too well. And so then after, uh, after Fozzie is shamed on his second joke, um, you're right, It it is a little rough on our characters. I find it funny, but the episode is a little rough on our characters. They sing, and she sings a song called Reach Out and Touch uh, to Fozzie and the rest of the Muppets. Um, and again, like I said earlier, one another one of her big
3: singles. This, so this song feels like a really nice way to close out the season I guess contradicting my earlier comments about the episode in general uh, but it just getting everyone on stage they've done this before but they've really polished it here and Diana does an amazing job of course yeah but getting everyone on stage especially after such a, a rough episode I don't I think it sort of closes out that loop without actually doing anything to close out that loop of them starting low and trying to end on a high but I absolutely believe that after everyone says goodbye, they're all just going backstage and like crying or knocking back a couple of drinks after the way that this episode's gone. I think when you're in a the theater, you just
2: learn that some nights aren't your night. Some nights the crowd is not going to be with you. stand-up comedians run into this all the time, right?
1: Mm.
2: You know, they, they're like, ah, the room was rough tonight. It's a rough room. This is just a night where they had a rough room. Uh, after the credits, uh, S&W... Um, have stopped keeping score and instead they've fallen asleep and they're holding some signs with the uh, Z's on them. It's going to be hard for me to use that audio at the end of the episode, but
3: whatever. <laughs> I liked both of these. Both. I think I liked Channing's episode more than I liked Ross's episode. I will say that Beaker singing feelings will probably stand out as one of my favorite all time Muppet moments. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. I don't know. I liked her episode just fine. I liked her. I, I think the, the crowd was pretty rough and I, I understand that this happens in performance, but it just, there was no real arc to it, right? We don't start low and, end we do start low and end high because the closing number is really solid, but it's still, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I want the Muppets to be all right at the end, of the, even as I watch them abuse <laughs> themselves and each other. Next time, there's no accounting for taste.
2: Next time is our wrap up show for the end of season four, because season four is over. So we'll be doing our normal top five, top five list and uh, uh, wrapping it up for the season and then taking a little break. And then we'll be back with season five, which I can't believe I'm saying, can't believe I'm saying that, but yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. Our list next week. I always enjoy our list episodes.
3: I'm looking forward to it. And I I'm also looking forward to going back through to see like which things stuck out to me and which things I think the music one is probably gonna be the hardest one for me this time. The my list for the music for for best musical number is quite large. Um, I have to whittle it down. So. It's gonna be difficult.
2: It's this has been a really good season for that. All right, but uh that'll be fun. So but until then, uh I'm Chad. I'm Nick. And thank you for listening. A Feat of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Schonk and hosted by Chad J. Schonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podowitz. And a proud production of
1: Antithesis Antithesis Audio. Audio.
0: With friends like these, who needs emeralds?